All right, please take your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. We have an unofficial name for next Sunday. Uh, Dads, you don't want to miss it because we're going to give out donuts. And if you're not a dad, then you're a dude. So we're going to call it Dad, Dudes, and Donuts. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. All right, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 11 today. Now we are in our series, if this is uh, your first time being with us in a while. Uh, we're in a series in the book of Philippians. Um, the main thrust is going further in the joy of faith. So joy is a major uh, theme, or the major theme, in the book of Philippians. And we want to go further in the joy of our faith, advancing, all right? So uh, advancing in faith. So today, Paul is going to teach us how to go further in our faith by teaching us how to count, all right? So you're going to say, well, that sounds uh, pretty kindergartenish, all right? Well, um, Paul has a doctorate degree, so some of the stuff's going to be pretty deep. But uh, he's going to teach us how to count to joy today, all right? So kindergarten you might start out by learning how to count to three but today we're going to learn how to count to joy and so going further in the joy of our faith now chapter four verse four tells us that we should rejoice in the lord always and that our joy as christians is not found in our circumstances because the christian life is a life of faith not emotions we don't want to go up and down on the roller coaster of emotions in the Christian life. That's um, not mature. That's not the way to, to think about your Christian experience. And so your joy is always there, uh, regardless of your circumstances or what your emotions may be. Uh, today's message is learning how to count to joy. So let's pick it up in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. And uh, Paul right away is going to command them to rejoice, and then he's going to tell us how he counts to joy. Beginning in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus uh, and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh um, that he hath whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those, what did he do? Counted them as loss. Okay? So, there's teaching us how to count. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So learning to count to joy. Did you see how Paul uh, counted several things there in his life? And he's trying to teach us how to count to joy today. And so we're going to look at three things as we go through these 11 verses that we can learn how to count to joy like Paul. Now the unity of this church in Philippi was threatened by the Judaizers. This was a, not a sect of Christianity, not a denomination of Christianity, it wasn't even Christianity. It was Jewish people who claimed that they were Christians and they would follow the Apostle Paul wherever he went to preach and after he left, they would come in behind him and try to undo everything that he had just taught the people. So Paul taught them that salvation was by faith, apart from the law. They would come in and say, well, Paul had the story partially correct. Yes, it's faith by Jesus, but you have to keep the law too. So they were changing the message of salvation to a different message. It's not the same gospel message. It's not even gospel, all right? And so Paul is giving a warning to the church in Philippi that if you listen to these Judaizers, you're going to lose your joy because you cannot depend upon yourself and have joy at the same time. Because you don't find joy in yourself. You can only find joy in Christ. So this is the, the basic warning that Paul is giving to them. Um, those Judaizers were teaching that you had to keep the law of Moses. Uh, specifically, Gentile male converts had to undergo the ritual ceremony of circumcision according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. So they were adding to the gospel human requirements for salvation. So Paul warned these believers of the dangers of turning aside to depend upon those legalistic standards. He called these teachers dogs, those who do evil, mutilators of the flesh. So the church probably knew about these false teachers who followed Paul everywhere and were teaching a different gospel. So Paul offers himself as an example of one who believes the gospel that he preaches. He's like, look, if you want to go ahead and set that standard, then I qualify. But I count my religious past as loss so that I may know Christ. So Paul saw something better in Jesus than he found in Judaism. And he's saying it's far superior, so we'll talk about it as we go through this today. So to Paul, the object of joy is the person of Jesus Christ, 
not religion. So if you're here today trying to be a happy person by fulfilling religious obligations, I can tell you you're going to be a miserable person because the standard is wrong. It's not found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wanted to know Christ in his life and to know the, the transforming power that God has for us in our lives. And so here we look in verses 7 and 8, we see our key word for today, so let's just go back and review that. Uh, I counted loss for Christ. Uh, verse 8, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Uh, then we come down to the end of the verse, I do count them but dung. And then we go down to verse uh, 13, uh, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So counting is a very important uh, concept or a word here in the passage that Paul is trying to teach us today. So we need to evaluate, we need to assess, we need to examine our lives to make sure that we're really pursuing what brings joy and to examine your life. So the unexamined life is not really worth living, is it? So we want to examine our lives to make sure that we have joy because sometimes we become slaves to religious things that really don't bring us joy. All right, so let's uh, go through this then today and uh, look at uh, a few points. So here's our first point. Learning to count to joy involves a final warning about false teachers. Look at verse 1. Paul commands them, and this is the first time in the epistle that he commands them to rejoice. And then almost immediately, it's like he flips a switch and he starts talking about false teachers. Seems like, well, why would he introduce a theme or a command and then so abruptly leave it? It, it doesn't seem to make sense. So let's look here at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So that's a command. Now, this word finally, now that we've considered this matter, everything previous to chapter 3, now, this is the last thing that we need to consider. So there's kind of that mathematical uh, concept there. of Here's the last thing that we need to, to consider. Um, we need to count uh, and to rejoice in the Lord, but to do so, we need to count here a warning about false teachers. Now, there is lots of false teachers out there today. I'm Joe from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And the next weekend. Hi, I'm Ben, and this is Mary, and we're from Kingdom Hall. We're here to tell you about the kingdom, and it's a wonderful place. Then you might run into other people. Uh, maybe they don't knock on your door, but... Maybe they're telling you, you know, I'm glad you go to church, and I'm glad you go to a Christian church, but you know, you're kind of really missing out on something because you need to get baptized in order to be saved. Or you need to do this to be saved. And so there's a, a lot of false teaching that's out there today. And in 
Western Christianity, and specifically in American Christianity, you hear very little warning about false teaching. Very little. And what happens is then false teaching comes in to American churches and it substitutes the message of salvation and it substitutes the real teaching of what it means to grow as a Christian with a human message of salvation and with human effort to grow as a Christian. Thus, it steals our joy because of the false teaching that we're persuaded to believe. So we need to be today very careful. A lot of churches don't have a beware message. But the Apostle Paul had a beware message. So let's look at this here um, and what he tells us to beware of. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Um, now, I know so many of us have four-legged fur babies. And we love our dogs, right? I mean, they're like our family member. But you know, dogs are some of the grossest creatures out there. Have you ever had to clean up a dog when things get stuck in their fur from their backside? Have you ever seen a dog vomit and then go and eat it? Have you ever seen a dog clean itself and then come and try to give you a kiss? Okay? Um, and so even though we may think of our beloved fur babies, they're, they're really kind of gross creatures. Isn't it amazing that we keep these things in our house? <laughs> you know, uh, they get fleas and then they scratch and just all kinds of crazy things that they bring into our lives. Uh, but in the ancient world, dogs were not necessarily considered um, all that lovable. Yeah, they, they did have dogs as pets, but there were a lot more packs of wild dogs. And uh, they were very dangerous because they were uh, running as a pack, roaming, looking for something to, to eat. I saw this <clears throat> very tricky dog on a, a little uh, Facebook video. And uh, it, it, it's walking with a really bad limp, like it's holding its fourth leg up, so it's only walking on three. And it comes over, and this person is buying a hot dog from the hot dog stand and sees this poor dog just kind of standing there with these eyes that will melt any human heart. And then it's got this horrible deformity or limp going on. And the person uh, tosses the, the hot dog to the dog. And the dog immediately snatches it out of midair and runs away completely healthy on all fours. You know, so there, there's a little bit of trickery involved. That dog had uh, learned how to develop very manipulative social skills. All right? So it, it learned how to trick humans. All right? So dogs are not the best of creatures to, to emulate. Uh, they can be dangerous. Uh, even household pets have mauled people to death before. Uh, we had a, a little poodle growing up. His name was Fritz. And uh, he would greet you with nose kisses and tongues kisses coming in the house. But if you were not family on the way out of the house, you had better watch your heels because he would nip at anybody. It doesn't matter who it was. I mean, he was the nicest friend on the way in, but on the way out, try to snap your heel, right? And so just watch out because there, there's danger. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, 
these false teachers, they're like dogs. They're, they're looking for lives that they can devour. They're looking for lives that they can ruin with their message. Uh, they want to take a nip out of you. All right? So watch out for these dogs. All right? Now, is this mean Latin reads from the apostle? Oh my, he so offended me. He's talking so forcefully about other religious groups. I mean, he names them dogs. How dare the apostle be so unkind and so harsh? And I've had people tell me when I've preached messages, oh, pastor, you should never name other religious groups. It's like, what? If the Holy Spirit calls them dogs, I'm not doing anything wrong by just pointing out who they are, right? And so then not only does Paul and the Holy Spirit call them dogs, he calls them What's the next one? Evil workers. Now these cults and these false teachers, they're energetic. They go to work. Hey, look, they put us to shame. I mean, they're out knocking on doors faithfully. Uh, you know, well, obviously to them, they've got to do that too. <clears throat> earn their salvation. But they're very energetic. I mean, they're just going at it, right? And um, we could maybe learn from that zeal. But they're, they're busy. They're, they're workers. They're, they're really working, quote, their little kingdom or their religious sect. And all the while, God says they're evil. Okay? Evil. Think about that. Um, many years ago, uh, President George W. Bush uh, called North Korea, Iran, and I forget what other country it was, he called them the evil axis, right? Um, and we've seen some of that uh, come to fruition recently, how evil these nations are. But Paul calls these religious Judaizers evil. Anybody who comes to your door saying, by the way, we have another testament of Jesus Christ. You don't need your New Testament. You need your, you need your New Testament and our additional testament. They're just flat-out evil. Even if they're dressed nicely and smiling and polite, they're evil. Because of the false message, they're going to steal your joy. They're going to try to corrupt your understanding of salvation. So he calls them evil. Um, that's very forceful to call someone evil, okay? Um, so this part of Paul's description ought to cause us some pain. So often the purveyors of false doctrines are so much more devoted to their task than are believers of the true gospel. So any teaching that denies the redeeming work of Jesus or distracts uh, from the message, well then it gets the stamp of being evil. All right, then he says the, the concision or the mutilation. All right, so as we go down here, um, the mutilation of the flesh. <clears throat> These Judaizers believe that circumcision of the flesh required uh, in the law of Moses was necessary or required to be saved. So if you were a Gentile man and you said that you believed on Jesus by faith, um, then 
when the Judaizers came in after the apostle left, they would say, well, Paul didn't tell you the rest of the story. Uh, we're here, my name is Paul Harvey, and I'm here to tell you the rest of the story, right? You, you need to uh, experience circumcision. You need to keep the law of Moses so you can be saved. And so Paul called them mutilators of the flesh. And um, that was in the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham when he was 99 years old. Um, Abraham was circumcised and circumcised all in his household at that point um, to show that they were in the covenant with God, but that's not required for salvation. Now, in case you don't know what circumcision is, I'll try to say this uh, delicately, but it's the removal of the male foreskin. And um, so they were requiring that for salvation. Now, um, not too many people are going to be willing to join a false uh, cult today, such as Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses, if they required the mutilation of your flesh, all right? But they're going to require the mutilation of your life, not just your flesh. Uh, you're going to be enslaved in the rigors of their demands. And if you don't do them, then you don't have any guarantee that you're going to end up in the kingdom. You, you can't know for certain that you're truly saved. You'll have no assurance. Well, let me just tell you, if you don't have assurance of your salvation, you don't have joy. Because the assurance and the confidence of your salvation, that brings joy. And so this is why Paul is warning uh, these Philippian believers about this religious practice and this group. But here's what Paul is going to say, okay? For those of us who believe in Christ by faith, our commitment to God is not determined by an exterior ritual, but rather by an inner obedience and devotion to God through Jesus Christ. So let me just share some thoughts with you as I, I wrote these down here today. Um, there's a prosperity gospel that's out there today. It basically says this. If you have enough faith, you can pray and God's going to give you a brand new Mercedes Benz. If you have enough faith, God's going to heal you of every infirmity for the rest of your life. If you have enough faith, then your bank account's going to grow and increase. And they turn God into this little cosmic bellboy that when you pray, ding, 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 God has to come running and make you a richer person. The problem with such a gospel is it turns you into a materialist and you lose your joy because joy is not a material thing. Are you with me? Are you, are you following that? Okay. So that's the danger of the prosperity gospel that's out there today. Uh, there's the danger in experiential Christianity. You have to have some initial physical manifestation of a religious experience to show that you're saved. My own dear grandmother, in her late 70s, went through the grief of losing her husband, but then the chaos 
of wondering whether she was saved or not because she would not fake speaking in tongues. And they told her in her church, you're not saved because you've not spoken in tongues yet. And so she really went through a nervous breakdown. That was very cruel. There was no joy there. I can remember as a child being scared to death, hearing my grandmother wail. Like, what? What is going on with grandma? What's wrong with grandma? And mom just coming to me. Well, she doesn't think that she's saved because she just heard at church that she's not because she hasn't spoken in tongues. And and so in, in a certain sense, there's this experiential Christianity that you're always supposed to be on this certain level of experience that, that's up here and you're never to experience anything less. And so therefore they steal your joy because when you don't maintain that level of experience that, that they're setting, then you're down here, then you start thinking, I'm a second, I'm a second class Christian. And there's something wrong with me. No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with you folks. Was not Jesus known as a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief? Did he not weep and cry when his friends died? Did he not sweat in the garden great drops of blood because of the grief of dying for sins? And so we're not supposed to constantly live in this worked-up emotional Christianity. No, we're supposed to just live by faith and have joy no matter our our circumstances. Then there's a a fatalistic teaching that says certain people are predestined, that certain events in the Christian life are predestined. And it turns you as a Christian into a dead or a desensitized Christian because to you, God has become a mechanical machine that does not care about your concerns because he was all wise and predestined your misery. So therefore, you have no joy. God is not an uncaring robot, folks. He loves you. And don't let people steal your joy. So Paul came to the place where he realized that his own efforts were useless, and that paved the way for his trust in Christ. So notice with me in verse 3 how he describes the true Christian experience and the true Christian way of thinking. Uh, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the what? Spirit, not materialist not in our flesh, right? Not the mutilation of the flesh. So no operation of flesh can produce true worship of God in a spiritual nature. Then he goes on and he says this, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. So those who boast in their religious accomplishments, they have no joy because They're boasting in their efforts, not in Jesus. We are to glory in the cross of Jesus, and that is his atonement. And that's the only basis for our salvation and our joy. Then he goes on and he says this, and have no confidence in the flesh. 
Now, the flesh is not just your skin and bones, all right, uh, here in this context. Um, the, the flesh is anything apart from Christ, which is your foundation for salvation, okay? Religious works, religion, okay? So a true believer understanding there's absolutely nothing that he or she can do uh, with his body or his mind to earn salvation then turns to Christ alone and receives great joy. So this is the first point. To have joy, you actually have to have a beware religion. Beware of false teachers. They're out to steal your joy. All right, let's look at the next one, verses 4 through 6. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is the law, blameless. So learning to count joy involves the subtraction of self-reliance. So Paul is saying, all right, so the Judaizers came in behind me. Great. Now, let me tell you about them. This is their message. They're saying you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this and you have to do that. Here's how you, when you share the gospel with somebody, can find out what they're trusting in. You can say, what do you think it takes to have a relationship with Jesus? Would you say that question with me? What do you think? All right, and then people will answer something like this. Well, I think that I have to be a good person. I think I have to keep the Ten Commandments. I think I have to go to church. I think I have to give my money. I think I have to try to be the best person I can possibly be. Who's the only person that they're mentioning? Yeah, right, themselves. Um, I had a pastor one time that uh, told a person who gave them like a string of seven or eight I answers, just looked at him right in the face and said, I think it would be wise if you got out of the savior business. Because that's the only person that they mentioned. And so Paul is saying, look, this is what they're telling you. You do all of this and you do all of that. Well, then Paul says, if that's the standard, I can play that game. Because I did for so many years of my life. Before I came to know Christ, I considered myself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, all of the other tribes, they're from concubines or second or third wives or fourth wives. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. We're from the mom that, well, Jacob loved. And so we're the only beloved tribe. So I'm truly a Hebrew of Hebrews. But not only that, folks, I'm a Pharisee. I know how to observe and how to keep track of, of tithing, of noting and recording every religious deed and he said i excelled in that game i i excelled in that lifestyle so he goes on and he mentions this um even his parents were were helping him in, in verse five he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of israel so i mean even before he could control his life everything was lining up right for him to be the best jew that he could possibly be right um so he says i can boast in the flesh i can boast about religious things 
I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisees, Pharisees were very concerned that you would tithe even mint from your garden. Right? So, I mean, they, they were really concerned about their religious walk with Jesus. Um, if you are in New York uh, or any area where a large metro area where there's uh, very ultra-Orthodox Jews, they'll come up to, if, you're, if they think that you're Jewish, they'll come up to you and ask if they can put the phylacteries on you. Wouldn't you like that experience? You know, the, the, the little curly things that go down the side of the face of the ultra-Orthodox Jews? They walk up and say, hey, I noticed that you don't have them on today. Can I put them on you? Okay? You need to get right with God today. It, it, it's kind of like some independent fundamental Baptist when we see someone come in the door and we look at the way they're dressed. Okay? I know of one church that had ties in case the men came in without a tie. Okay? I know that they also had wraparound skirts if the women came in in shorts or jeans. And they, they were Velcro, right? So you could just take it. And, and they actually required that the people wear them when they come into the, into the sanctuary. Folks, God's not after that, right? That's not the measure of salvation. That's not the measure of Christian growth. So Paul here supports the warning that he issued with details of his own experience. If anyone had a reason to trust in the works of the flesh for salvation, it would be Paul. He was circumcised, and he, he lays out all of these things. So in other words, it's beyond question that he would qualify, but yet he's preaching something different. So don't listen to them. What I found is far superior. And so Paul was even persecuting Christians before he was a Christian. Uh, he regarded Christians as a threat to his faith. And all of those that knew him and observed him would say that he was a blameless person in every way. So Paul's point is this. Few, if any, of the Judaizers could match his blameless life. In birth and training, he far surpassed all of his friends. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, he tells us that. He was sincere. His Jewish religion meant life and death to him. Um, if any man could go to heaven on the basis of character and religion, it would have been Paul. And yet he was a lost sinner apart from Jesus. And when he met Christ, he considered all of his earthly religious attainments as garbage. Okay? This is why Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Um, oh, those filthy rags. The, the Hebrew is very graphic. It's talking about the female issue of the body. That's what God looks at our righteousness and says, yeah, that's repulsive to me. Your, your effort, your fleshly works, it's disgusting. I don't want anything that you have to offer to me. So Paul says in verse 7, I counted it. This is the way he puts it. He measured carefully. He took stock of himself. And he decided that all of his religion and worldly honors were not worth it. He wanted Jesus. Hey, listen. Think about life. We have a little statement, a little proverb that goes like this. 
all that is gold does not what? Doesn't glitter. Okay? It's kind of like King Midas, everything that he touched turned to gold, but then he found out there was no satisfaction in that. America is a very materialist country. Um, we can get snooty about the brands that we will or will not buy in our life, right? And we become very materialistic. And we feel superior to other people because they don't live like we do. They don't drive the car that we have. They don't wear the clothes that we have. They don't have the bank accounts that we have. Uh, they don't live in the neighborhood that I live in. They don't have the religious background that I have. You're going to have to learn how to count. Paul says all of that is just flat-out garbage. In our Sunday school today, uh, Bel Shazar is drinking from the golden vessels from the temple, and the writing appears on the wall. You remember that? Have you ever heard the expression, the handwriting is on the wall? That's where that comes from. And uh, he doesn't know what it means, so he calls in the soothsayers, the magicians, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the wise men, and none of them can interpret it. And then he calls in Daniel, and he says to Daniel, Hey, Daniel, I, I hear that you're the Daniel of my father who can interpret dreams and uh, figure out hard sayings and solve problems and all of that. And so look over here on the wall. There's a very difficult saying because none of my advisors can figure that out. But I hear that in you is the spirit of God's, and you can figure that out. If you tell me what that says, then I'll make you the third uh, ruler in the kingdom of Babylon. I'll put a purple robe on you. I'll put a golden chain on you. I'll give you honor and wealth and riches. And Daniel says, just live, just keep those gifts to yourself. I don't need them. You see, that's what we have to have is that attitude. And to be happy in life, to have joy in life, I don't need any of that. I just need Jesus. So how are you counting things today? Are you a materialist? Are you a religionist? So Paul is saying, look, when I compared Judaism with Jesus, I chose Jesus. And so he wanted Christ. And so you have to have that same conclusion about your own efforts, about the way that you're approaching life. Because you see, everybody has the same problem. How's it going to be solved? And so in the place of his exclusive nationality, his elitist education, energetic fanaticism, he just says, I chose faith in Jesus because he died for my sins. Paul is righteous only because he shares the righteousness of Jesus. His relationship with Jesus is his supreme joy and privilege of his life. Look at verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So it was impossible to hold on to the former values in his life. He had to have Christ. It was one or the other. And Christ exceeded anything and everything else. And so these three statements express to us the repentance that you can find in Paul's life. His attitudes about salvation had turned. He turned away from his past and he turned to Christ. And see, this is just the point about what's going on in our nation today. 
we're celebrating the wrong values in life. This whole month, we're celebrating, celebrating as a culture pride. We're going to have to turn away from what we value, whatever makes us proud. And we're going to have to turn to Christ. Because nothing else brings joy. Nothing else brings satis- salvation or satisfaction. So learning to count to joy involves the subtraction of self-reliance. Christian life is not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has done for you and what he will continue to do in you. All right, so our last point here today is verses 9 through 11. Uh, learning to count to joy involves the imputing of righteousness by faith. Now, this word imputing is a commercial financing, financial term, which means that you look at your business ledger and you count it. Did it go up or down? All right? And to have something imputed, you might think of the word deposited. All right? Say that word with me, deposited. All right? So Paul is saying in verses 9 through 11 that salvation is deposited on somebody's account. So verse uh, 9 through 11, and be found in him. In other words, be found in Jesus. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. So Paul is saying, look, I, I, I want to trust in the credit that God has put on my account through the righteousness of Jesus. And so Paul used Abraham as an example. God came to Abraham before there ever was a law of Moses. And he says, well, could Abraham be saved by the law of Moses? Absolutely not, because it didn't exist. So how was Abraham saved? Well, by faith. So before there was ever religion, there was faith in God. And for you to be saved, you can't depend upon your religion. You have to have faith in Jesus. And so how was it accounted in verse, this is uh, Romans uh, chapter 10. Um, It's talking about uh, what happened to, to Abraham. Um, it, it says here, um, sorry, this is Romans 4, verse 10. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, it came to him before he was circumcised. Not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And it goes on here that it says this, that he might be the father of all those who believe. That's why we call Abraham our father, because it was his faith and his belief that made him right with God. Genesis chapter 15, verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So when you believe, when you put your trust 100% in Jesus, God deposits all of the wealth into the account that you have to settle with him. And so on accounting day, it comes out that it was all Jesus who made you righteous. And this is what Paul is saying, that apart from God, there is no righteousness. Apart from the grace of God through faith, 
there is no salvation. So he clearly tells us that he wants to be found in Christ Jesus, not his own righteousness, but through the faith of Christ, trusting in what Jesus did, to be declared righteous at the end of verse 9, uh, which is, in, is of God by faith. So you trust God in the way that he's provided salvation, and you'll be saved. That's through Jesus Christ. So it comes from God, verse 9. God the Father and God the Son were in agreement on the way to be saved. Then in verse 9 it says, through faith, as Christ provides the righteousness we need. There's no, nothing that we can absolutely do to add to it. One commentator put it this way. Trying to earn your salvation through your own efforts is trying to uh, make the sun shine brighter by lighting a match and making the sun shine brighter. Not going to work that way. Okay? So just faith in God. So Paul defined being in Christ in terms of righteousness. Being clothed with God's righteousness rather than one's own. It's the heart of the matter. And so to have fellowship with God is always based on righteousness. So verse 10 then, we must be like Jesus. And so this is the transition from salvation to sanctification. Christians must be like their Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Conformable, being found and fashioned to be like Jesus. And we do that by faith. Not by a list. And so... This is what Paul is teaching us. Is that what brings that powerful change into our life is not a little list. Listen, uh, when I went to a, a Christian school back in, in the 80s, they had some very interesting ways to measure if you were spiritual, right? So they would have hair check on the guys. And they would put two fingers at your eyebrows. And if your hair came down over your fingers, you weren't spiritual, you had to go get a haircut, okay? <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess now that I'm bald, I must be really spiritual, right? But um, then they made the poor girls get down on their knees, right? And if their skirts didn't touch the floor, then they weren't spiritual, right? And so they were teaching us that if you didn't go out and do this, and if you didn't memorize this, and if you didn't think this way, then you weren't spiritual. Folks, God doesn't have any of those lists. You know what he says? Trust me as you grow as a Christian. Now, there are things in the word of God which are commands, and we have to follow them, we have to obey Jesus, right? But we're talking about human things. And we don't depend upon those. So what changes us on the inside, in our heart, is that resurrection power of Jesus. What kind of power can wake up a dead person and bring them back to life? Only the power of God. And so what can change a person that has been involved in all kinds of sin in their life? Only the resurrection power of God. And that's the power that Paul wanted to know. That's the power that we all should want to know. 
And so it has two, two phases. At conversion, uh, we experience the power of spiritual regeneration making us new. Uh, but then later, um, we realize that that power only began to operate in our life. It progressively changes us to look more like Jesus. You know, some people, you can actually tell the, the difference physically, right? Um, you can see the transformation in some addicts when they get the, the, the poisons of the toxic chemicals that they've been putting in their body through their addiction, when that gets all out of their system because they have trusted Christ as their Savior and salvation and they trust Him to change them, then guess what? Elasticity and in, in, in the shininess of skin and, and the health of the color just begins to come back into their body. And you can see the, the, the physical impact of their walk with Jesus on their life. But you can also tell it when someone who's been an angry, mean, nasty person all of a sudden becomes a joyful, happy, giving kind of person. It's just as visible, is it not? And that's the resurrection power of Jesus that changes us. And so our life must be changed into the image of Jesus. And we're transformed, actually we're conformed by faith into that image of Jesus. And that's the resurrection power that Paul wanted to know in verse 11. Now, verse 11, if any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he's not saying if there's any possibility about that. He's just saying, since this is the the transforming power, I will experience that in my life. And so you too, Christian, can have that transforming power in your life that brings you into a life of joy. So maybe today counting to joy was not what you expected. Okay? A warning about false teachers, the abandonment of self-reliance, and the imputing of righteousness on your account by faith. That's counting to joy. And God makes that available to us through faith in Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's just go ahead and make this a moment of response and of dedication to God. Um, maybe some of you are beginning to look at another religion that's very dangerous. Quit looking and get your eyes on Jesus. Find your joy in him. Maybe some of you are a very religiously self-reliant person. You need to turn away from that and turn to Christ alone. Uh, maybe you have never, by faith, asked God to deposit righteousness into your account. And today is the day that you can just say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself, Jesus. My spiritual account is bankrupt, Jesus. So please deposit your righteousness on my life's account and save me. Forgive me. I need you, Jesus. And if you'll do that, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So maybe you're here today and you need to turn away from self-reliance. Maybe you're here today and you need to ask Jesus to deposit on your account righteousness, which comes by faith, by just trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you. Father.